Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. You can look that up in your Bible, in the Bibles in the pew there, or on your phone even. And while you're doing that, I wanted to draw the attention of our guests to this little blue card here. If you get a chance to fill that out, we'd love to send you a note this week. All right, so Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We're back in our series, Sinners and Saints, today. And today, you know, it's well, the first half of this series has been pretty rough on, on the Saints. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, rougher than hopefully this football season is going to be on the Saints. But uh, we, we can hope. But it's been a little bit tough, and today is kind of the last part of that. Today we uh, address the saints again, and then probably next week we'll take sort of a halftime break, and then we'll dive in with the other half of this series that uh, will speak more directly to uh, sinners, or just those who don't consider themselves part of the church necessarily, or part of uh, the Jesus followers, or a Christian, or a very churchy kind of person. And so that's kind of where we're at. And today, if the truth is told, you know, we're working on things, right? Uh, saints, we're working on things. We, we've been stretched a little bit by this series maybe, and, and our, our minds have been. But the truth be told, uh, there's still a lot of folks out there uh, that we would rather see incarcerated than saved. There's a lot of folks out there that we would rather shut up than listen to. There's a lot of folks out there that make us too uncomfortable for us to want to comfort them. Uh, There's a lot of folks who maybe we could say that they're uh, too dirty for us to want to offer them a bath, right? We... uh, And so today we have to be prepared to be offended by Jesus. He offended the people he told this story to that we just read. 
And we too run the risk today of being offended. But I figure it's better to be offended by Jesus than to offend Jesus. And so, you know, better to offend Jesus, uh, be offended by Jesus now and be defended by him later because we listened. Uh, so I, I think it's worth listening to what he has to teach us on one of these hardest lessons that he had to give. And it was really hard for people to swallow then and it's still really hard for a lot of us to swallow today. And so I'm just going to say a short prayer as we get started with this one today. Jesus, we just want to say that it's alright if you need to offend us today. And whatever you do, just don't give up on us. We want to do you proud. We want uh, to do your will. We want to do things your way. But we surely need your help. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a story that maybe will help us with this. You know, once upon a time... There was a mom who uh, took her toddler, three-year-old, three uh, to Target, and uh, she knew better. All the Christians were at Hobby Lobby, where they were supposed to be, uh, except for her. Uh, a small group of protesters who were, um, you know, standing by the bathrooms and protesting Target policy, and uh, you know about Target policy, right? I don't have to. Okay. Uh, so, and then, and then a megachurch pastor who was in a hurry um, because his five Saturday night services were about to begin, and and he knew that if he went to Target, he could get in and out fast because he wouldn't see a bunch of parishioners because uh, they'd be at Hobby Lobby. So. Or Chick-fil-A. You know, the, the places where you're supposed to go. So, um, she's walking through and, and you know, kind of maybe a familiar story. Uh, senses that someone's kind of following her. And so she begins to kind of pick up speed. She notices this fellow stays around. Uh, so she makes a quick turn. But as she does, the guy just blindsides her, knocks her over the head grabs her child and makes his way to the front. And uh, she pulls herself together somehow long enough to chase after them. Uh, but uh, everyone seems kind of oblivious and they've all got their own things going on. You know, the, the protesters are in an argument with the manager so they don't really notice what's going on. The, the megachurch guy, he's, he's, he's at the Starbucks counter uh, because this Target had a Starbucks in it. And, and, uh, and so he's trying to get his coffee in time while also telling the cashier about his latest book, Your Best Hope Now. And so he's trying to work that out and they don't really notice what's going on. And, and the doors slide open. She shouts, you know, someone help. And, and this white van comes and pulls up, unmarked van. The door slides open. And out of nowhere comes this transgender refugee. And he just wipes this guy out. He wipes the guy out. He sets the child aside. Uh, the guy that he tackled jumps up and gets in the van. The van peels rubber. Uh, this, this fellow, this hero, uh, wrote down the license plate number 
Uh, he called 911 and asked for an ambulance for the mom whose head was bleeding and, and he gave them the number of the van. He uh, went to the mom, he asked for help, he asked for a towel, but uh, the manager and the protesters were just aghast. They didn't know what to do. And, uh, and the, uh, obviously the mega pastor guy was trying to slip out a side door because he had a service to get to. And, and so he just unwrapped this weird foreign looking scarf thing he had on his head and used that to stop the bleeding. When uh, the ambulance got there, he, uh, she loaned him her uh, phone so he could call her husband and let him know where the ambulance was headed. And, and uh, when he got back to his hotel, he, uh, he called for flowers to be sent to her room. And a, and a note just to say, if you ever need anything, let me know. But, uh, but he was from out of town. He was from uh, San Francisco and was just in town visiting family and had stopped by Target for some uh, lip gloss. It's preposterous, right? What a crazy story. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a ridiculous story, Pastor. It's uh, kind of sacrilegious, you know, and, and not very clever, really. Even maybe offensive. The story that Jesus told was very offensive. Samaritans in his day... You know, I mean, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Jesus didn't even say good Samaritan. <laughs> he didn't say a good Samaritan stop, did he? This was offensive, and that was actually the goal of the guy who was trying to trap Jesus when this whole thing took place. No doubt. Uh, see... This happened to Jesus all the time. The religious leaders and teachers that didn't like him thought he was a little bit radical. Maybe they understood Jesus better than some folks in some ways. Uh, a lot of folks still thought that Jesus had come to lead a big rebellion against Rome and so forth. And, uh, but really he kept saying these radical things. And so perhaps this teacher of the law, this expert, thought that he could bring some of Jesus' more radical tendencies to the forefront and in doing so, people would be maybe offended enough that they would leave. And I guess in a sense he succeeded, uh, but not quite. Things didn't go quite as, as he expected. See, apparently this guy had done his homework. Because he approaches Jesus and, and asks him this question, and he seems to be trying to get Jesus to give this answer that Jesus is known to give. And, and we've heard of it too, when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Remember that one? Uh, that was the big one. Everyone knew that. that. That was a big deal to all of Jewish people, I suppose it still is. If you're Jewish, that's I mean that's that's the command, right? That's the big one. If you had to sum it all up. But then Jesus adds another one. And apparently this guy had heard Jesus do it. He had heard Jesus say this, because why else would he pair this? Uh, yes, they both come from Moses and the law, but one of them was famous and widely accepted and the other was a little bit more obscure we might say and so the expert when he asks Jesus his question Jesus says well how do you read it I mean you're the expert right how do you read it and so the expert then quotes Jesus back to Jesus 
And Jesus had been quoting Moses. And so here's what they say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Leviticus 19.18. That's a book of law in the Old Testament. And it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among who? Your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. And so this expert in the law then asks Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Says he wanted to justify himself. I've read that this also could be translated, he wanted to win the argument. He wanted to win the battle of wits, right? He's engaged Jesus in this battle of the wits. And he wants to win. And so he says, and who is my neighbor? Because this expert in the law knew that Leviticus 19.18 says, your people, as in the Jewish people. But he had heard Jesus use this in some different ways. He had heard Jesus tell some stories that were eyebrow raising to say the least. And he had a notion what Jesus thought about neighboring might differ a little bit from what Moses thought about neighboring. And if he could bring that to the forefront, these Jews in his midst, even in his group of disciples who could not stand people like Samaritans and Romans and Gentiles and even sinners in their own group, might be offended enough to leave Jesus alone. So he asks, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan. See, most people in our, in our world today, in our culture, they've heard of Samaritans. They may not know what an actual Samaritan is, but they know they've heard of a Good Samaritan, and it's a good thing. Everyone wants to be a Good Samaritan. In Jesus' audience, nobody wanted to be a Samaritan, and there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan, as we said already. Now, he tells that story, and so we know that it was offensive. We know that it offended people just because he had a Samaritan in there. <laughs> that was enough to, defend, uh, to offend people. But he didn't just offend people. See, if he had wanted to just offend people, if he had wanted just to fall into the trap that the religious expert had set for him, then he could have just said, well, there was a Samaritan on the side of the road and a Jewish man helped him out. Go and do likewise. And that really would have been a more direct answer to the question, right? Because the question was, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this really kind of roundabout, I've been confused by this for years. Because he doesn't exactly answer the question, who is my neighbor? I mean, think about it. The guy said, who's my neighbor? And then there's this guy on the side of the road, and the priest passed by, and the religious Levite guy passes by, and then here comes this Samaritan, and he treats the guy nicely, and then Jesus asks his own question back. Who was a neighbor to him? And they have a choice then. Do they answer Jesus? Or do they not answer Jesus? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That's a different question than who is my neighbor. Jesus told his own story and asked his own question. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And when he said that, the story changed from merely offensive 
too embarrassing, a little bit humiliating. Perhaps they felt a little bit ashamed at the idea that a Samaritan would act more like God's people than God's people would act. Because they knew that what Jesus had said about the priest and about the Levite wasn't so far from true. And the thought that someone else, some outsiders, might be doing what God had called his people to do for generations better than God's own people would do it was embarrassing. So it wasn't just offensive. Jesus kind of turned the tables there a little bit. Our, uh, the general director, they call him, of the Church of God, some jokingly referred to him as the Pope. <laughs> we don't have a Pope. Uh, but his name is Jim Lyon, and he was a pastor for many years, and he tells a story about the first church that he pastored in Seattle, Washington for a long time. And their church had grown considerably and, and was hoping to expand. And like our church, uh, they were a little bit locked in by housing around them. And they had some money set aside and they wanted to buy a house adjacent to their property. But in that community, to do that, would have to go through kind of a community council sort of thing. And they hadn't been having much luck with that. So he arranged a meeting with the councilwoman and stood out, I guess, in his parking lot and talked about it. And she said, Jim, you seem like a nice guy. But the deal is, we're not going to let you have that house. So why not? He said, because you don't, you and your church don't care about this community. And of course he was deeply offended by this. Their community had been, I mean their church had been founded I believe by his grandfather. Had been there for a long time in that community. You know, available with the gospel for all. And, uh, and so he was... Uh, you know, thinking I've been here longer than you, lady. My, me and my family, we've been uh, ministering in this church and in this community for a very long time. And, and she said, uh, Well, Jim, do you know who lives in that house right there? And he said, No. He said, Well, that's Betty Jo. And, and she, you know, can't get out much. We bring her groceries every Monday. Do you know who lives in that house over there? No. Well, that's Jim, and, and Jim can't see well enough to drive. We take him to his doctor appointments. And on and on, through the houses surrounding the church. She said, that's what I mean, and that's why I say that as long as I am alive, you will never own another inch of property in this community because you don't care about the people. You don't do a thing for this community. He said he was so mad. <laughs> he stormed back to his office. But you know, have you ever had those times where someone makes you so mad and then later as you stew over it, you're convicted a little bit by it. But sometimes there's some truth in insults that we receive, some truth in hard words that we hear. And probably
probably there were a few people in that crowd that heard Jesus share this story who were angered and offended. And then later felt the embarrassment and the shame set in as they realized that they had not been living as the people of God ought to be living. Sometimes we live as though the sinners are the enemy. And I think that's partly because I mean it's partly our fault and it's also partly because our society casts it that way and we just buy into it. They tell us that we're supposed to be enemies. They say this group and this group don't like each other. They're on different sides of the political fence or they're on different sides of the moral fence or whatever the case may be and so therefore they have to yell and scream at each other. But I believe Jesus would challenge us with this story and more like it that we need to stop seeing sinners as enemies and start treating them as neighbors. To stop seeing sinners as enemies and start treating them as neighbors. And see, this, is, this message for, for the saints is where the rubber meets the road, really. Because for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about ideas and we've been talking about attitudes and we've been talking about thoughts and, and how we think and how we view. And this week Jesus requires us to take it a step further. Because he didn't just ask us to, start, to stop seeing sinners as enemies. He asked us to start treating them like neighbors. He said... Uh, Go and do likewise. I mean, the guy just asked, Who's my neighbor? Jesus said, Who acted as a neighbor? Go and do likewise. So action is now required. We are, we are required to do something, not just to think something. We've got to remember, first and foremost, that sinners are not the enemy. We, I mean, who is the enemy? Well, the enemy is the enemy, right? <laughs> the enemy is the enemy. The, I mean, sometimes scripture calls him the devil, and sometimes he calls him the Satan, and the accuser, that means. He's the one who you know, prowls and strategizes how he can tear people down. How he can steal things away from heaven's grasp. And he's stolen a lot. But the people he's taken prisoner. And the people who are enslaved. They are not the enemy. For Jesus and for his followers they are the mission. They're the mission. And so we need to begin to treat them, step one, as neighbors, instead of viewing them as enemies. And I think, I think it would be wise for us not to wait until we get our thoughts and attitudes all worked out on this one, before we just start doing it. Uh, First, because Jesus said, go and do, likewise, not go and think about it till you get your head on straight, and then 
do it. <laughs> he just said, go and do it. And I think sometimes that's because we have to start doing something before our hearts are changed. Sometimes we have to have a conversation with an enemy before we understand in our heart that they aren't our enemy. Does that make sense? Sometimes we have to go and do something kind for someone that we wouldn't ordinarily do something kind for and that society would say we'd have no business talking to them unless we're in an argument. We have to go and we have to do something kind to them, get to know them, maybe even listen to them, and then God uses that interaction to change our hearts a little bit. So maybe that's why he said, go and do. We have a lot of needs in our world. We have a lot of kids in our world who are lonely and they feel unwanted. They can't seem to find anyone that wants them. Their parents don't want them. Their peers don't want them. And so they seek someone who will want them. And they seek it in romance. They seek it in gangs. They seek it in the LGBT community. They seek it in a lot of different places, wherever they can find it. And if they can't find it, then more often than not, it seems they strive to take their own life. There's a lot of people that don't feel wanted. Why don't they feel wanted by the church? We need to go and do, to treat others as neighbors. And that requires more of us than just having a welcoming attitude if they happen to walk in the door because it's, it's more likely that we'll have to walk across the street to someone than it is that they'll walk across the street to us. And wouldn't we feel ashamed if they were the ones to walk across the street first and do something kind for us when we as God's people ought to be the ones being the drivers of the neighbor movement, if you will. The ones who show and, and do a clinic on what it looks like to treat others as neighbors. It ought to be us. And so we may be just as humiliated as those whom the Good Samaritans showed up if we aren't the ones going and doing first and foremost. So don't wait for your attitude to be changed, but strategize today. So that's, that's, my, that's my thing for you today. If, you, if you're going to do something today, don't just pray about it, but strategize about it. What could you do this week to treat someone as a neighbor who maybe you wouldn't normally see as a neighbor? Maybe you would typically see him as an enemy, or, or maybe you don't necessarily see him as an enemy because you've, uh, you know, you've been listening to this series and you've heard about how you know, God is a God of equal opportunity for sinners and saints, and, and you've heard about how you know, sinner, saints don't get to control which sinners get in, and, you, and your head is screwed on straight, but, but the society says you ought to be enemies with this person over here. You ought to be enemies with that person over there. You shouldn't like each other. And so strategize. What could you do, just even a small thing this week to do something neighborly to someone who wouldn't expect it society wouldn't expect it 
you might not even would expect it from yourself. But perhaps Jesus expects it from us. I'm going to brag on somebody today because I think there's just it's just the perfect example. Uh, we were over the last week. I've I've made a lot of trips to the hospital, and we've had a lot of folks in the hospital. I say when when Cypress Streeters decide it's time to go to the hospital, we like to go together. Uh, we don't like to just be lonely up there. So I've uh, been making the rounds over over at Glenwood and. Evelyn was on the sixth floor, and every time I'd get off the elevator on the sixth floor, there was this young man sitting right there, like the elevator doors open, and, and there he is. And I noticed that a couple times, and I thought, huh, he doesn't look like the guy that would typically be sitting up at the hospital, just sitting there. He was, uh, he was a young black man with... I guess you'd call it, I guess it was some kind of braid sort of thing going on, lots of them, and uh, kind of long, and had tattoos all over his face. Like, it looked intense. I wouldn't want to mess with him. It was like, yeah, don't mess with me kind of tattoos <laughs> all over his face. And uh, I, I mean, I assumed some kind of gang thing or, you know, something like that. This guy was hardcore, and, but here he was sitting up at the hospital, just sitting there. And so I'd noticed him most of the days that I was going by to visit Evelyn. Uh, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily saw him as my enemy, but I didn't really feel like I had time to stop and talk, I don't guess. I don't know. Sometimes you regret things later on, don't you? But uh, Nancy, on her way out, was that Wednesday night? I think it was Wednesday night. Um, she stepped out and saw him sitting there again and had noticed him as well sitting there several times and she said to him uh, you know something about what are you here for and he said well his mother was there and not it wasn't looking good or something like that and um, Nancy said well my mother's here too and it doesn't look good for her but I know where she's going and so we have a lot of peace about that. We, you know, she was a Christian. She said, is, "Was your mom a Christian? Is she a Christian?" And, and he said, "No, ma'am." And she said, "Well, it's not too late." And uh, she said he got up and, and walked back to the room. And, and we don't know what happened. And I, after she told me about that, uh, while we were standing in ICU, she told me about that. And I, I went back up just to see if he was there. And I checked the next day too. I never saw him again. But uh, hopefully something that, that Nancy did, speaking compassionately to this young man at a ripe opportunity and moment that God presented to her, made a difference in his life and maybe even in his mom's life. And uh, we can pray for that, can't we? And we can hope that. But I thought that that's the perfect example of, of this because, I mean, one, it's taking place outside of these walls instead of waiting for some sinner like that to show up here because the chances of him walking through our doors is pretty slim, right? And, and it's seeing someone who society would say those two have no business talking to each other any more really than, uh, than Jesus had business talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? When everyone was like, why is he talking to her? <laughs> That's one of those moments. You know, why is, it, why is he talking to her? Why is she talking to him? Uh, they don't look like they ought to be having a conversation. 
Yet, Nancy treated him as a neighbor. And I think that that's a good example for us today. And it's something that ought to spur us on. To kind of think a little different than we've been thinking and, and certainly to do a little different than we've been doing. And if we can't learn to do that, then we'll be in worse shape than Jim Lyon who had to stammer around in front of a councilwoman. <laughs> we'll be stammering around before the throne trying to explain why we didn't treat others as neighbors when he asked us to. But if we do, if we do, if we begin to treat them as neighbors, if we begin to challenge ourselves and strategize, how can I get beyond maybe my comfort zone, not to do something just crazy, but just something small, something neighborly, to someone who the world would say we shouldn't be neighbors at all. If we do this, I believe we'll see the gospel take root in our community. Maybe in some really small ways. But once the gospel begins to take root in a community, it's Katie bar the door. I mean, just read your New Testament. There were all kinds of people who were supposed to be enemies. But the gospel tore all that down. And the Apostle Paul wrote so many times about, hey, because of Christ, there's no more of these divisions that we used to have. He changes all of that. He said, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Right? But the powers, the dark powers at work in our world... And so let's remember who the enemy is and let's stop seeing his prisoners as the enemy but as the mission and as neighbors and we'll begin to treat them that way. And I think it'll make a world of difference for the kingdom of God. Don't you? That's worth trying. And if it will be an adventure, I say sign me up. Let's do it. You stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you that while we were enemies of God, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. We're sorry for the times that we've forgotten where we came from. And we pray that you would your Holy Spirit would show us what it means to be neighbors to those that our world would say are our enemies. We're going to need your Holy Spirit's help, so we ask for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.